This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome, everybody, to Season 4, Episode 10 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers, and today we are joined from a land of high strangeness. We have Aaron Phillips from Arkansas on the line with us. Thanks for being here, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. It's a strange place. You live in a very odd part of the country. I mean, you got everything from UFO sightings, dogman sightings, Bigfoot uh, reports. Uh, What is it about the neck of the woods you live in? Yeah, it's... uh... I don't know. Arkansas is, you know, it's called the natural state and it has lots of, uh, you know, forest, woods areas. Uh, there's also lots of quartz, uh, in the, you know, in the ground in these areas. Uh, in the, in the, there's lots of quartz crystal mines around. Uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or whatever, but it's, it's definitely, and it's also home to a, a paranormal conference every year too. Uh, and it's just been known for a lot of strange things, you know. Well, so that answers the question because the UFOs and the Dogman and the Bigfoot are all there. They're mining for gems. They're trying to strike it rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's that Diamond Crater National Park, too, where you can go down uh, in the middle of Arkansas and, like, get actual diamonds, too. So that's kind of fun. Like, Hey, man. Are you anywhere near Murfreesboro? Back in the, when I was a little, just a little tyke, my grandma would talk about Murfreesboro. And I think it was in Arkansas, but it was a place where you can mine for gems and crystals and precious stones and stuff like that and it always kind of captivated my imagination like imagining you're a prospector you know there's there's gold in them dark hills <laughs> right yeah i'm not quite sure where murphy's murphysboro is <laughs> I, had a, I had a come out with an accent there uh but in relationship to where i'm at i'm up in the corner in northwest arkansas uh and uh right where Wal- the headquarters of walmart's at but uh it's definitely, um, there's definitely little mines all over the place, and um, there's uh, all sorts of sightings. There's actually a place uh, south of here, not far, probably about 45-minute drive called Devil's Den. <laughs> which is, uh, has seen some uh, sightings. Uh, UFO sightings, and there's been uh, lots of reports. There's a famous one uh, that we can talk about, and that's the Devil's Den incident, um, the, or excuse me, the incident at Devil's Den, a true story by Terry Lovelace. Um, and it's his book, which is one I do recommend, and I also have listened to the audio book. Uh, it is uh, quite the story. Uh, he was uh, basically he's a former uh, assistant uh, district attorney uh, for the U.S. government. But before that, he worked for the U.S. Air Force as an EMT up at Whiteman's Air Force Base. Now, I've lived 
near Whiteman's Air Force Base. So I have connection to this story in two ways. Uh, I lived near Whiteman's Air Force Base. Uh, it was I lived about 60 miles away from there in, in Lee Summit, in near, just right outside of Kansas City, Missouri, right? Uh, and then I, now I live here in Bella Vista, Arkansas, which is an hour away, 45 minutes away from Devil's Den. Uh, and so I've lived within areas of where this uh, that this story takes place. Uh, and he had an, two UFO incidences, one that took place at near Whiteman's Air Force Base and then one that took place at Devil's Den. Um, and it's this tremendous, like, it has everything in it. It has the triangle UFO. It has the, has grays. It has abduction. It has implants. It has just, uh, a multitude of what you, of the ET stuff, you know, uh, everything you can think of. And he's a pretty good storyteller as well. Uh, so if you, you, if you think about it, it's, uh, and with everything that's going on now, uh, within the, the ufology and the ufologist, it, it relates to, it, it lends a, a level of validity to a story too. So I don't, it like, I always think when I look at these stories and read them, I think, you know, it gives me a sense of, I, I just, I'm always skeptical, I guess is what I'm, where I'm trying to go with this, but listening to the audio book and him and he's his own narrator. Uh, it lends a level of validity to it. Cause he, he, he just can tell by him telling the story in his own words and in his own voice that he, that he really went through something. Right. Um, and what he went through is uh, he and his buddy, they were up. I'll, I'll tell the first part of the story and Whiteman Air Force Base, if people don't know it, is 60 miles outside of the Lee Summit. It's where the U.S. houses the B-52s uh, at the time when he was there in 1977 is when he was there. And it basically um, it, and they also have the silos out there. Uh, he, he refers to this instance as the Kilo 5 incident. Uh, and the Kilo 5 incident is uh, where there was, uh, he was responding, uh, he was an EMT on base at Whiteman Air Force Base, and he was responding to a call, uh, where, uh, there was a soldier that had gotten hurt at one of the silos. And the silos were where the nuclear, our nuclear ballistic missiles were. Uh, and as you read through the book, and I've highlighted some things here in the book, uh, as you read through the book, he says he was permanently assigned to Whiteman Air Force Base, or WFB south of Kansas City. Uh, Whiteman Air, Whiteman was home to a squadron of B-52s armed with nuclear bombs. It also housed the Minuteman II missile system. These were 60 foot long nuclear tipped intercontinental ballistic missiles or ICBMs. They were inconspicuously situated in hardened underground missile silos. Uh, so these were tucked on the base in different spots. Uh, and as we know, uh, UFOs, um, part of UFOlogy is UFOs and, uh, will hang out near nuclear sites, right? I mean, just really ballsy when you right? consider, I mean, we could scramble a jet at any minute to go intercept and to check them out. But yeah, you do. You have reports, not just in the U.S., but all around the world of these, you know, military bases and you have, you know, orbs, balls of light, triangles, discs. Uh, some of which, you know, are hovering silently in the sky, checking us out. Um, and whether it's real or not is is up for debate. But there is 
footage out there of actual like rocket launches and missile launches where UFOs are kind of zipping around them. And then suddenly the, the missile malfunctions almost as if they're like, Hey, take it easy with your ICBMs. Let's not blow the planet up, you know? Right. And yeah. There's, there's cases of this. I think it was in uh gosh, don't quote me on this, but North Dakota, perhaps there was a case of uh the, the, all the buttons went hot. You know, they had nukes and everything like basically the, the switch was flipped that they were within one, you know, push one more button and we're going to launch. And, you know, we got Russia on the phone going like, hey, why, why are you guys about to launch? And they're like, it's not us. It's like, I don't know, our system's malfunctioning. And then just like that, you know, UFOs are seen hovering over the base. And then just like that, suddenly the equipment uh, goes back to normal and the system shuts down and Russia's like, yeah, that's what we thought. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And, and these... And, and they're they're somehow able to turn them off, right? It's just it's crazy. And so Terry goes on to say Terry Lovelace uh, when they were worked on there. He got they him and and Toby. Toby is his friend that he he's his fellow EMT uh, that he works alongside with at at the Air Force Base. And Toby is the person that goes along with him down to Devil's Den as well. And it's his partner in crime, so to speak, like let's say you and I, right, Andy, when we go on these expeditions together in search of Dogman, for instance, when we did that. Uh, so when we go out investigating, uh, Terry and Toby are the two that go down to Devil's Den together on this camping trip in the future. But during this particular instance, which happened in, I think, 1977, or maybe it was two years before that, in 1975, uh, they were called out to by their uh, fellow officers uh, at the Air Force Base because someone had gotten hurt. Uh, and they're, so they're screaming out there. The, 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 he, they said, as he describes it in the book, the, the, the night sky, it was the evening, it was dark, but it was a glow of orange, you know, as they're screaming to Kilo 5 silo. And as they're screaming in their ambulance to, to Kilo 5, they pull up on Kilo 5 and above Kilo 5, they couldn't believe their eyes. I couldn't believe my eyes is literally what he says in the book. I was mesmerized by the sight. It was a little bigger than a full-sized van. It sat motionless in the sky, 50 feet above the Kilo 5 silo. It was diamond-shaped and jet black. Spotlights from a half-dozen security police cars had it lit up. It had a matte surface that was non-reflective. I strained my eyes looking for wires. My mind was having trouble processing this thing defying gravity. We looked for engines or propellers. We watched it for 10 minutes. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And it happened in a heartbeat. So like, isn't that, and that was at Whiteman Air Force Base, 60 miles from where I used to live in Lee Summit, Missouri. Right. Uh, so it's pretty amazing. It's pretty astonishing to me that, and that happened in 1977. So let's skip now to what, where, and there, there's more in the book. It's a great book. It's a fascinating book. And, and there's a lot at, that happens in between this incident and, uh, and there's lots of more story in the book about what happens in Terry Lovelace's childhood and leading up to this event, right? So that's just a, a small snippet of, of what occurs, uh, at Whiteman Air Force Base. Uh, now when the, him and, uh, Toby, they decide to go on this camping trip, a, a boy's trip, right? They're not going on like a, a paranormal investigation. They're not going on, 
a UFO hunt. They're not going down there to do anything related to UFOs. They're just going on a guy's trip, right? They're trying to get out of town. Uh, Devil's Den from Kansas City, Missouri, or Whiteman's Air Force Base is about a six-hour drive. Uh, I know this because I lived in both spots. Uh, and when you hit, uh, you, so you're just drive. Now you would drive basically down 29 South, and you'd hit 44, and you just keep going. You go wrap around past Fayetteville, and then you'd, uh, and you you basically hit it about a, a maybe another 30 minutes uh, south of Fayetteville. Uh, you take the exit and you kind of wind uh, down a two-lane road to uh, Dev- the, Dev- the Devil's Den National Forest slash park. And they decide, however, before they even leave on this camping trip, that they don't want to go and camp in the National Forest or in the park in, a, in any specific spot. They decided, and they talked about it before they left, that they want to get away from everybody. They don't want to be where the kids are at. They don't want to be where, in 1977, they say this in the book, where the hippies are at. (laughs) They don't want to be, right? Long-haired hippies. Right. Get out of my campground. (laughs) Shake a stick at them. (laughs) They don't want to be where anybody's at. They want to rough it. Now, these are two guys that have never, and they say this in the book, too, that have never gone camping before. Oh, boy. Yeah. Underprepared. Ne- <laughs> underprepared. They're Air Force flyboys, man. They are <laughs> they are not like Marines. They are not army, you know, they are not roughing it types. They're flyboys, you know. So they are uh they are not prepared. And they're like in a in just a car too. They're not even in a truck. You know, and when you were down here with me and we went on that dogman hunt, we were in my F-150. And you remember how those roads were, right? Some of those back roads we were on got pretty, you know, pretty rough. Uh, and that's the way a lot of the roads are when you get down to Devil's Den, too. I was just down in Devil's Den last weekend. My aunt came down. And guess what? She saw a UFO. My aunt saw a UFO last weekend over Devil's Den on Friday night. I didn't see it. I wasn't there on Friday night. I met him on Saturday. But she, we were sitting around the campfire on Saturday, and she's telling me that. I believe her. She's a Lutheran pastor. And she says, Aaron, I was just sitting out here by myself. I looked up, and there was this bright white light in the sky. It wasn't a star, and it moved in this unusual pattern. Like, it just kind of went like this. Or down. That's, that's what they do. They do and, figure eights. They do yeah. circles. It's it's becoming so common, but yet it's so amazing every time. And it's so strange. Ao, right? Right. I drop the title of the podcast every now and again. But it is so strange. It People are so seeing strange. these things. They're they're Super they're strange. like, my God, they're happening every day, yeah. every stinking day. Every so stinking day. this that's fresh. That's that's a hot off the press type of sighting. But yeah, that was just um, last weekend at Devil's Den. There you go. So, but getting back to the story, these guys are in the woods. They're underprepared. They're in their, they're in a car, not a pickup truck. So, right. what happens next? They drive. They drive past. They drive past the, the the main entrance for National Forest. They drive past the Rangers. They happen to be able to get past the Rangers. They and if you go through down into the backwoods of Arkansas, uh, and they're they're but they're still they're they're skimming the line of the park, right? And they end up coming on a service road, basically, for lack of a better word, that enters the backside of the park. And they, they, it's chained off. It says no admittance, no trespassing, no hunting, no fishing, blah, blah, blah. But they pull the, they pull the chain off the, the post and they, they basically take that road. It goes from a gravel road to a dirt road to basically 
you know, just a, a tiny little service path that wraps up. And they're looking for a high plateau and they come up to this, this field. And it's a field that is, uh, it says as, then I'll read this real quick. As planned, we bypassed the main gate in the visitor center that issued camping permits. We managed to skirt the park rangers too. Toby managed to snag a map from a rack of local tourist attractions. Now we had a better idea how to find our way into the wilderness area. The map only took us as far as the entrance of the wildlife preserve. From this point onward, Toby directed me while he drew a map on the back of a bank envelope. The lack of recognizable landmarks made the map a necessity. We had passed a sign that said no admittance, no hunting, no fishing. So we ran after that, we ran out of blacktop. The road turned into gravel and the gravel degraded into a rough dirt road. Eventually we had just ruts in the clay to follow. We came to a chain across the road blocking our way. A second metal sign was posted that read no entry Arkansas department of parks and recreation. Uh, so then they, they end up just keep driving. They just keep going for another hour or so up the side of hills. And when you get into that area, and I've been there several times, my family's actually gone there for years since I was a kid. And you, it's very, it's, it, they're not like huge mountains like out in Denver or Colorado, but they're mountains and it's rough terrain. Uh, and there you can vary. And, and the terrain drops off at like, I mean, and there's hundred foot drops and, there's, it's very steep grades and you can get hurt if you don't know what you're doing pretty easily. Uh, and he says here, now I understood the reason for the chain and warning sign. This wasn't a place for amateurs. After an hour of twists and turns, our path took us up a sharp hill to the summit of a plateau. We were awestruck. Neither of us spoke. This was the spot. This had to be the place. It offered a panoramic view of the wilderness, just as I imagined. This met our expectation in every detail. We were thrilled. How are we doing on time here? It's 1230. Um, so anyway, it, they, they get to this spot and they go camping. They basically get to this, this plateau and this is where they're going to set up their campsite, right? And being the rookies that they were, they decide to go out exploring before they set up their campsite. They, they don't do, <laughs> they don't, they don't set up their campsite, man. And, and that's the so, risk is if something happens and by the time you get back, it's going to be too dark. It's going to be too cold to get set up. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what happens. They, they go out, they go walking around, you know, they start looking around, taking, you know, taking in the scenery, taking in the, the, what's going on and it gets dark. They don't have a, a light, but uh, they, they, it, the story goes into those kind of de the, the story goes into those kind of details for several pages and what happens to them and how they're kind of stressed out and uh, how, you know, how they're rookies and amateurs and out in the woods and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, but then as they're they finally get settled and they finally get the campsite set up and they've had a pretty stressful day. Right. Well, as they're laying there, they got the campfire going, they got their campsite set up. Uh, as they're laying there on their backs, looking at the stars, Toby notices these three uh, dots that seem to be just kind of floating in the in the sky, right? And then all of a sudden, these three these three dots kind of turn simultaneously, but they never change in uh, in how far apart they are from each other. So it's a it's a triangle shape, uh, just similar to the one they saw in at Whiteman Air Force Base, and. So as, and, and they, they can tell Toby, uh, both being, you know, 
you know, they're airmen, right? They can tell that this is not uh, a vehicle or a craft or, or a star. Excuse me. They can tell that it is a craft, but they, and they can tell that it's not a star. They can tell that it's, and they say this in the book, that it is in our atmosphere. They can tell that it's not, you know, in space. They can tell that it's in our atmosphere. And then it starts getting closer to them. And then suddenly this thing's getting bigger and bigger as the time goes on. And so, and then all of a sudden it's directly over them. And this white light shines, shoots down from the center of this ginormous triangular craft. And as soon as they said this in the book, as soon as Terry says this in the book, I'm like, what does this remind you of? What other incident happened in U.S. ufology lore? The Phoenix freaking lights, man. The Phoenix like, lights. Yeah. Because right? that, that thing was massive. People were yeah. saying that thing the size of multiple football fields in length, right? Right, yeah. And, that's, and he said it took up this entire plateau and a circular light. Disp- I mean, well, they don't talk about the circular light and the Phoenix lights, but yeah, that's what this, descri- this description reminded me of. Uh, so it is one of those things where, uh, so anyways, I'll keep going with the story. The, 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 the light shines down in the center and they're right on over the, the campfire. Uh, and it just switches on like someone turned on a light in a room. You know, it's not like, that's basically how he describes it. And then it, and then it switches off 30 seconds later. And then a blue like laser light shoots down and it's kind of shooting on and off and pointing down on them and Terry and Toby get each individually at some point get hit by this blue laser light uh, and then all of a sudden they get overcome with this feeling of uh, the he says the word apathy like they just suddenly like don't care anymore about what's going on and another thing that occurred was the what's described some people describe it as the Oz effect uh, where everything just gets super quiet. No bugs are making noises. All nature sounds are, have stopped and the Oz effect kicks in. So, and that was, that was a little bit before that as the aircraft was approaching. So, uh, I forgot to mention that earlier. But the, so we have all these things that are occurring. You know, you have this craft in the sky, you have the, the lights that have coming down and you have this blue thing and then, with that all occurring, they decide to go and lay down, uh, and they just fall asleep. They're still they they they're fully clothed, right? They're fully clothed. They they keep their boots on and they just lay down and they go to sleep. See, this is more common than people realize. After people see UFO sightings, for unexplained reasons, that they they the next day they're like, I don't know why. I, why didn't we talk about it? Why didn't we get more excited? Why did we just go to our bedrooms and go to sleep? It's almost as if there's some sort of programming or some sort of um, hypnotic thing that the extraterrestrials place down in our brains to make us like, okay, chill out. You didn't see nothing. Go to bed. Right. You know, it's bizarre, but you, you hear accounts like this. So, oh, all the time. Yeah. So they, so they just go to sleep. They just go to sleep. They just fall asleep. Well, that's not the end of the story. They wake up. Uh, Shortly, I mean, it's the same to them. It's the next morning, uh, but it's still dark outside. Uh, and, and Terry tells it from his perspective. He wakes up and Toby's in the corner. Now they're inside the tent now. 
Uh, Toby is, as he wakes up, Toby's in the corner kind of shaking, shivering, like, kind of like from cold almost. And, and Terry notices that he's kind of shaking and shivering. Uh, and the, and, but there's these lights outside, these red and green lights kind of flashing, lighting up the tent every once in a while. And he can tell that Terry's had just, he has like these streaks from, uh, down his cheeks from tears just flowing down his face. Uh, and, uh, Terry is, uh, wondering, he's like whispering, like, what's going on? What, what? And then every once in a while, you, you hear this rustling outside the tent, like people are walking around the tent. And so Terry kind of unzips the corner of the tent. And as Toby says, stop, stop, don't do that. And, and Terry just unzips it and you hear the zipper un, uh, unzip the tent. And he looks outside and he sees, there's kids. There's these kids walking around the tent. And, and, and Toby says, they're not kids. And so, and he, and he says, zip that back up. So they zip it back up. And, and they just keep hearing these, you know, the footsteps around the tent. And, and Toby is, uh, still just scared out of his mind. And, and Terry makes the point in the book that Toby is a trained EMT, you know, and Terry's trained as well. And they're Air Force, U.S. military trained to handle, uh, high pressured situations, you know. Uh, and this is one of those times and they're just, he's just cracking, you know, he's, he's cracked under the pressure of this circumstance that they have found themselves in. Uh, and then eventually the, the rustling outside stops, the lights turn off and they, and Terry opens, unzips it again. And he sees the, the creatures, which are clearly not human after uh, noticing later, he says it in the book and he sees their, the profiles and they have drawings in the book. Uh, they have, they walk into the beam of white light and they, they just eventually one by one go up. He says there's probably about 11 or 12 of them. Uh, and they go up into the ship, up into the craft. Uh, and he describes some events that occurred and his memories of what happened on the craft. And he's, he describes the interior of the craft in the book as well. I won't go into those details, but, uh, so it's a very, it's a, it's a fascinating book. It's a fascinating story. Uh, he was on Linda Moulton Howe's um, uh, what was it featured on Earth Files with Linda Moulton Howe as well, uh, who's uh, a prominent uh, ufologist in in this field, uh, and it's um, it's one of those stories where you just can't his sincerity and and what is going on now with the congressional hearings that are happening, uh, you know, next week and everything and the descriptions and. Uh, and what lends even more credibility to, uh, Terry Lovelace's story is the fact that, uh, and he has x-rays of this, that he found, they found a metal implant in his knee, uh, where he has no scars, uh, of a surgery, but there was a long, there was a metal implant within his knee of, uh, it definitely was of, uh, was not of organic origin. Uh, it was, it was of, uh, yeah, so, I can't think of the word right now. But nobody knows how it got there because there's, nobody no, knows how it got, yeah. there's no mark, there was no scar as to how it could right. have been implanted. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wow, wow. It's it's terrifying. Can you imagine anybody listening, just for a second, just imagine yourself in these guys' shoes. You're in a tent. You're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you're completely exposed, basically. You unzip the tent and you see child-sized, non-human entities walking around. And they yeah. get sucked up through a beam of light. That'll change you. That'll change you forever. Yeah. Intense. That's, that is remarkable. Oh, my God. 
God. It is. It's a remarkable story. It's a great story. Uh, yeah. And I think, and after they, after this event, Toby and Terry never talked again. Also These- common, also common among people who see UFOs for whatever reason. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but it kind of divides people. And usually the reason is one person is curious and wants to, wants to talk about it, wants to research it. And the other person just can't handle it. So they go into denial and they say, I don't want to talk about it. Don't bring it up. Uh, if person A continues to bring it up, person B just checks out and they're like, okay, we're, this friendship is over. I'm done. Don't, don't bother me with this anymore. And you can't blame them because you know, the, some people just don't have a bandwidth. They don't have a capacity to digest something that's not supposed to be. Uh, but Devil's Den, not just notorious for UFO sightings. You have paranormal things going on there. You have disembodied voices. You have orbs seen in the forest. There's allegedly a Civil War soldier who was thought to be killed in battle. Some people see him walking around the, the Devil's Den area. You have, it's just a, a area of high strangeness. You know, a place kind of makes you glance over your shoulder, almost like you're, you're, the feeling of being watched, right? Yeah, it's a it has a remarkable energy. Um, I, I've gone there, like I said, several times, and uh, it's it's a really cool. I mean, just it's picturesque. The hiking trails are just the nature there is phenomenal, uh, and the hiking and the, the beauty of the place is phenomenal. But it definitely has an aura about it that uh, that is strange. That is so strange. So, hey, yo, hey, but we were taught you were talking another topic you want to talk about is the congressional hearing about UFOs next week. Uh, government's taking this seriously. There was even an article that said uh, UFOs could be uniting Democrats and Republicans as they're coming together to discuss this. Of course, they don't call them UFOs anymore. They call them UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. But Taking a glance at a couple articles, one here from ABC News, it's it's titled House Oversight Committee to Hold UFO Hearing Next Week. I mean, what do you make of this, Aaron? I mean, every time something like this happens, you know, those of us who are interested, we're just kind of like wringing our hands together like, is this it? Is this disclosure? Are they going to drop a bomb on us saying, yes, we've known since the 1940s with Roswell. Here's what we know. I mean, what do you what do you make of this? Yeah, I don't know. Um it's like, is this Christmas for those in <laughs> ufology? Uh, Are they just teasing us again? Yeah, I don't know. There's like, so UFO hearings. So here's a headline that Fox News put out. UFO hearings in Congress next week will be historic. Well, this is the end of the road for the casual listener. If you'd like to hear the full uncut version of this episode, please consider becoming a subscriber by clicking the link in the show notes. Being a subscriber only costs $4.99 a month, and it grants you access to full-length interviews, and in some cases, an entirely separate bonus episode. You can also binge on the back catalog of subscriber content, which continues to grow all the time. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of So Strange.